Good evening, this is Amanda Manier with the Veterans Voice here on 790 KABC. We are here every Tuesday night from 7 to 8 o'clock uh, talking about all things that are affecting veterans and they're um, working with the VA to get their disability benefits. So I'm happy to talk with veterans, their family members, um, anybody who would like to help a veteran as they navigate this process. Um, I am a veteran advocate and an attorney, the managing attorney at the Veterans Law Group. Uh, we work nationally with veterans all across the country and really all across the world. Um, we've got uh, claims and working on cases for veterans who are living in Thailand or the Philippines or Germany, a lot of people in Germany. Um, so if you are listening to this on the podcast, we're more than happy to uh, talk to you about your case as well. Um, we are taking your calls live this evening. Our number here is... Um, sorry, 800-222-5222. That's 800-222-5222. Um, if you are, have a question about one, a, a claim, a disability claim, or a comment, or maybe some advice for people who are going through the process, it can be a very uh, frustrating process. The VA is an organization that is well, as I try to remind them, the entire purpose of their entity is to help veterans, and I think sometimes um, there are people that work there that lose sight of that, um, and sometimes I get to remind them of that. But it's an entire entity set up to help veterans, um, people who served, people on the disability side, the disability compensation side where I work in. Their job is to help make sure that the veteran has the monetary compensation that they need because of a disability that they incurred or was aggravated by their service. So I always talk with veterans who are a little hesitant to filing for claims. Um, most of the time the hesitancy I hear is that, oh, another veteran needs it more than me or mine is not that bad. Um, my support in that is, you know, you uh, filing your claim is not taking away from another veteran um, if you're both in fully entitled to it. And two, it was part of the contract that you signed and we as Americans signed to say to you that anything that happens to you while you are serving our country, you're going to basically give us your whole life for the four years, eight years or 20 or even 30 years that you served in the military. You're going to give us that life, whether you are, you know, in the office, whether you are out marching, whether you are overseas in theater, regardless of where you're at, you are, um, you know, effectively owned by the military during that time. So anything that happens to you during that time, we agreed as a society, as um, citizens of the United States, that we would compensate you for that disability with the idea of it does affect your ability to, um, you know, not necessarily not be able to work at all, but it may affect your ability to have certain jobs um, as you get out of the military and move forward. So one of the joys of my life is that I get to host this radio show and talk to you all about what you're going through, as well as the veterans that I represent every day, um, being able to help them walk through the process, represent them at hearings, and ultimately get them um, what they're needing or um, entitled to. So most of the work that I personally have done, our office here has been around here for about 25 years. The founder of our organization, whose name is Mark Lippman, has been in this about since 1996. Um, he's a wealth of knowledge and I'm grateful to have learned everything that I know from him or most of what I know from him as far as not only just the letter of the law, the interesting thing, especially about this area of law, because it isn't in a court environment, um, when you're dealing with uh, the VA, 
it's not just about the letter of the law. That's not the best expertise you can necessarily have. You certainly need that as an attorney, but a lot of what you need is a certain amount of savviness and, and um, strategy of how do I get this case through the VA the easiest way I can get it through without causing so much headache for the veteran. Because there are times in which, you know, the VA just makes mistakes. Um, there are times that, that it's really frustrating because it seems so obvious to us and the veteran and the VA isn't granting it. And then there's times that it's just missing information. They don't have the information that they need, um, sometimes because it wasn't provided to them. And sometimes I have seen that you did provide it to them, but it didn't make it into your file for some reason. Um, in the early days that I've been doing this, about 10 years ago, we used to physically have to go to the VA in order to look at a VA claims file. And that was really interesting. It was a physical file. They'd bring it to you in a cubicle. This make me sound really old. But um, nowadays we have electronic access to all of our clients' files. So I can you know, file something electronically and within a day or so be able to see it in a veteran's file, which is really awesome. So things have changed a lot, but there are still a lot of mistakes. Um, if any of you have a pending claim right now, you probably received a letter a couple months ago where the VA acknowledged that there was a mail issue, um, meaning that if you had submitted something, or not, it was the opposite, I'm sorry, if the VA had mailed you something that had a deadline, most mail was not getting to veterans for 30 to 60 and sometimes 90 days after that, and it may have had a 30-day deadline. So you missed the deadline by the time you got the letter um, and or by the time you got the actual uh, request for information. So they extended all of that. So the VA still has their problems. They will always have their problems. So it's important to work with an organization. You know, it doesn't have to particularly be ours, although I would love that. Um, it, we work with an organization who has worked through a lot of these things and knows, you know, we work on thousands of cases. So works through these things um, in order to make it as easy as possible for the VA to grant your claim. So that's what we're about. And again, I had mentioned that we are taking your calls live here this evening. Our number here is 800-222-5222. I believe we have a caller on the line, Robert in Costa Mesa. Welcome to the program. Yes, hello, Amanda. Thank you for taking my call. I have a question regarding uh, I've had some breathing issues, and um, I actually had an artificial heart valve installed recently. And um, I keep getting a lot of runaround in terms of uh, my injuries. I have nerve damage in my neck. I also have uh, breathing problems, and I was just diagnosed with uh, sleep apnea, mm -hmm. severe sleep apnea through the VA in Long Beach. And I was wondering uh, what would be the best procedure the best thing to do well typically what you're going to have to do and let me just lay the foundation a little bit for those people who are listening who are not aware of the foundation and it's in order for a veteran to receive compensation for what happened in service is there has to be three elements it's one there was some sort of something happened in service an injury happened Two, you have to have a current diagnosis of some sort of injury. And then the third is that there is what they call a nexus, a connection between what your current disability is and what your in-service injury is. So when you come to me, Robert, with a list of issues, breathing issues, artificial heart valve, nerve damage, sleep apnea, the first thing that I would say is, okay, if you have those current diagnosis, 
what was it that happened in service that could you could tie that to? Yes, I do. Yes, I have a 20% disability right now, and I did have an injury on an aircraft carrier. So, um, yes. an, in, an injury that would affect breathing, heart valve, sleep, and cause yes. sleep apnea? Okay. And nerve damage to the neck as well because I was knocked out. Yes. Okay. Okay, so generally in that, if you are, if you, have you filed a claim yet, or you're just kind of inquiring about it? Um, I filed a claim, and I did not appeal it. I tried to appeal it during COVID, mm-hmm. but I was having a lot of problems getting through the office in Santa Ana. Okay, so there's one thing right now is that the federal government still has at currently, which I expect to be withdrawn any time now, but they are currently automatically granting extensions for anybody who missed an appeal deadline since March of 2020. So that would mean, sorry. Right. Yeah. So what you have to, you have to request it. So when you file an appeal, you include in the appeal that you're requesting an extension due to COVID. And um, then they, you know, generally what I try to do with veterans who, if you have a decision and it wasn't a higher level review, I would immediately file a higher level review and request a COVID extension. They will probably turn around and deny it unless it was very obviously on its face, a a bad denial. But then you have a more current rating decision that you can then work on for some time to get medical evidence or nexus letters and those kind of thing. But because I believe that this COVID thing is probably going to go away really soon, I wouldn't wait very long to get that appeal put in. Just do a higher level review and request an extension due to COVID. Okay, great. Thank you so, so much. Thank sure, sure. And then at that point, what I would do, and you're welcome to, to, to listen in as I kind of diatribe a little bit, but the next thing I would do is on those different injuries, while some of them may be secondary to the 20% you already have, I would claim them as, so like, for example, the language that you use is sleep apnea, direct service connection to include secondary to maybe your you know your injury. Um, so that the VA is kind of told that you want them to look at it two different ways. Maybe one, you started having symptoms in service, so that would be a direct service connection. Or two, you also want them to look at secondary to something that's already service connected. So an easy example that I can give you that we work, that we get them all the time is sleep apnea secondary to a psychological condition. So PTSD, depression, anxiety. Um, The way we go about that is we say, if you can't directly do service connection for sleep apnea because he was snoring or stopping breathing while he was in service and maybe have some evidence to support that, then we also want you to look at it as secondary to a site condition because it's well, especially if you've gained weight, it's well known that depression, anxiety, PTSD is known to cause obesity or even weight gain. And then weight gain causes sleep apnea. So when the VA says, well, there's no correlation between PTSD and sleep apnea, there is under this triangle of you have sleep apnea or you have, you have PTSD or site condition or something, it could be something related to if you're on medication that causes weight gain, then you, then you're able to say the, you know, my medication for a service related condition caused my weight gain, which caused my sleep apnea. So there are ways you can go about it like that too. So think about those in a different way. And as I always tell people um, before we go, Robert, before we go to break, 
don't try to do it alone. So if you're filing a new claim or something like that, reach out to a VSO. If you want to talk about appealing it, feel free to reach out to my office. Um, the website is veteranslaw.com. That's veterans with an S or 888-811-0523. Talk with Karen or Star or TJ now in my office. They're awesome and they can help you with that. Poway, are you in? We are in Poway, but we work with clients all over the country, yes. Can you give me that number one more time, please? Sure, 888-811-0523. Great, thank you very much. You're welcome, thank you so much for calling Robert. We are gonna take a break here. We'll be back here in a few minutes. Again, we're taking your calls live, 800-222-5222. This is Amanda Manier here on The Veterans Voice. We'll be right back. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I Good evening. Welcome back. This is Amanda Manier on The Veterans Voice. I am a ma the managing attorney at the Veterans Law Group and a veteran advocate uh, representing veterans pursuing their VA disability claims for over 25 years. We are taking your calls live here this evening. Um, if you are a veteran who is trying to work through the process of getting their VA claim approved um, or, just, or a family member who is watching somebody else go through it, want to know how you can help. That's how I ended up working in this industry. Um, feel free to give us a call here at 800-222-5222. It's 800-222, it's K-A-B-C. Um, I'd be happy to talk with you. Um, before we went to the break, we were talking with Robert about just some of the different um, injuries that may be, I was talking about some secondary in in or injuries. So for example, those are ones in which you maybe have a service connection for a knee claim, and over time that knee, because of favoring the knee, has caused problems with your lower back. That's a very common one. Then be, even though your back was not injured while you were in service, you can still file a claim for that as secondary. Another one that we're seeing more and more is, as I mentioned before the break, is uh, uh, effects of medication. So if you're on medication for a service-connected disability and that's causing some other problems, such as um, you know uh, weight gain, which may cause sleep apnea, or weight gain, which may cause hypertension. So there's a lot of other things you want to look at um, when you're looking at your claim, not only from an aspect of you know, increasing your overall percentage to get a monthly compensation, um, but also, especially if any of those conditions could be um, life risking or be a risk to your life, because if you do end up passing from one of those conditions that is service connected, it does open up some benefits for your family. So, um, you know, and, and I started mentioning a little bit in the last, um, before the last break, that um, a lot of times in talking with veterans one on one, people who maybe never filed a claim, um, then they might be a little hesitant of it, of, oh, well, I don't need that. It might just be like $500 a month, I'm fine, all that kind of thing. And I just try to think about it as, this is kind of a lot of financial planning for your family, because what you do with your VA claims can affect long-term your family and provide them with some benefits. 
everything from educational to uh, what they call DIC benefits to a spouse if, if you are no longer with us. So there's a lot of th ways to look at it. It's not just necessarily a matter of, you know, oh, I stubbed my toe, I was in the military, and now I should get, you know, $100 a month. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm sure there's certainly those as well, but um, it's it's definitely something to think about from a larger perspective of planning for your family. Um, again, if you would like to join us live here this evening at 800-222-5222, be happy to take your calls. Um, generally what I do on our live shows is, well, I'll take calls that come in about any topic. I usually have a couple of topics that I want to um, talk about if we have time to do that. Um, one of the things that I started last week, and if you want to go back, you can always listen to previous um, episodes on the KABC website, or if you go to our website, veteranslaw.com, and click on podcasts, our past um, shows are there. And sometimes when we're doing live shows like this, I start to get into a topic and don't get to quite finish it because I would much rather answer your questions directly than to stand up here and wah, wah, wah to you. I always tell people I've done many years of teaching to teaching veteran service officers and teaching paralegals. And um, I always tell them I'm a teacher at heart. I want to help individuals with what they need instead of I'm not a lecturer and I'm not a presenter. And so my again, my favorite thing is to answer your calls, 800-222-5222. Um, last week, we talked a little bit about um, kind of some buzzwords that float around the veteran community called the five-year rule, the 10-year rule. Sometimes you hear about the 55-year-old rule, um, things like that. And I just wanted to provide some clarification. All of those things wrap up in whether or not, the big question as to whether or not your disability claim or your disability percentage when you get it is considered permanent. Um, and there's a permanent and total concept and then there's a permanent concept. So permanent and total means that your rating is at 100% and that rating is permanent, meaning the VA will never call you in for a reexamination and they are not going to take away that 100%. So how do you know if your rating is, a, is permanent in total? Well, again, first you have to have 100%, but then you go back to what about a permanent rating that's under 100%? So what's often referred to as the five-year rule is just a statute that says that the VA, once they issue a rating, they will typically call a veteran in for a new examination, a re-examination, usually between about two years and five years. So if they look at it and say, okay, when we granted this to you a while ago, we weren't ready to grant it as permanent. And so we thought, well, it's possible that this condition could get better in the next five years. So usually within two to five years, you'll get a letter that says, it's time for your re-examination. And so you go in for a CNP exam. If you do not attend that CNP exam, they will reduce you, just a warning to the wise. Um, that they, after that, after you've had a condition for five years, they will not call you in for a reexamination. So to a certain extent, it's permanent and that they won't call you back in. But in addition to that, you always can reopen your claim even after the five years to pursue an increase. And of course, when you open up your claim to pursue an increase, you do risk the opportunity of it being decreased. So you do wanna make sure if you're reopening after five years, that you are sure that the increase is that you're not going to get decreased. So 
Um, how do you know if you're not going to get decreased if you go back to your initial rating decision? Say you were granted 30% for a PTSD or an anxiety or depression. That decision in it will say, in order to reach the 50%, which is the next step up, you have to show the ex, you know, these list of symptoms. And in those cases, psychological symptoms, you don't have to show every single one, but you would show more in the 50 versus the 30, that kind of thing. Um, that's always a good time, as you'll hear me say on the show many, many times, don't do this alone. That's a great time to go in and talk to a veteran service officer before you open your case again and say, well, what are the symptoms of the, so with, uh, with psychological conditions, it goes from 10% to 30 to 50. So if you're at 30, what are the symptoms of a 10 and what are the symptoms of a 50? And if you feel like you can honestly say that you have more symptoms than a 50, then obviously, or even a 70, that's the next step up, obviously it's worth reopening your claim and having it looked at again. So while I don't wanna make people afraid of reopening claims, I also just wanna caution that after that five years, you are risking the ability to open up your condition to be reduced. Now, if they're going to reduce you, they will always propose to reduce you first. So they it gives you a opportunity to provide evidence of why you should be at your 30% and not the 10 if they propose to reduce you to the 10. So the 10 year rule uh, means after 10 years of you being service connected for a condition, the VA cannot by law sever that service connection and uh, unless there is fraud. So that's the 10 year rule. So if you are already service connected for your back, if it's 11 years later and they say there's no disability here, they can't take that away. Um, 55 year old rule, that's about the same as the five year rule. If you're usually over 55, they probably won't call you in for a re-examination. So those are where there's, those fall in. Um, I've heard a lot of questions about that, seeing a lot of discussion online about those things. Um, so I just wanted to provide some clarification. And if you have any questions about those, you can always, again, call us here on the show on Tuesday nights from 7 to 8 o'clock, um, 800-222-5222. Or during the week, you can reach out to us. We set up a email address called veteransvoice at veteranslaw.com. That's veteransvoice at veteranslaw.com. The other couple of things that I wanted to touch on um, before we kind of hit a break is what do you do um, if you're, so when you have a claim that has been denied, though when people call in, you'll hear me say this to them when they call in and they're like, something has been denied. My first question is always, well, why did the VA deny you? Um, and there's again, going back to the three elements I outlined when we were talking with our previous caller, there's three elements in order to have a service connected claim and a rating. It's in service injury. So I hurt my back while I was in service. Right now I have a disability, I have injury, I have arthritis, degenerative disease, something like that in my back. And there's a medical opinion, which may be by the VA done or maybe by your private doctor, that says that they believe your current injury is related to the injury that you had in service. So if all three of those elements are met, then the only real thing to argue is what percentage disability that should be. So those three things give you a service connection and then all you're looking at is how severe is that disability and what percentage it, should it be rated. So when people tell me they've didn't, you know, the VA denied their claim, I'm always looking at what is the, what is the VA missing? What is that, you know, formula? What part of that formula are they missing? Um, one of the most common ones I see 
is that there is a um, that maybe the veterans or the VA didn't even schedule you for an examination. They just flat out denied it because they said there was nothing in your service treatment records that shows you had any sort of injury to your back. Now, the stories that I hear all the time every day is, well, we were out on March. I stumbled and fell down a hill. I hurt my back. But it's not something that you can just go running to medical for, especially if you're overseas. Um, and so then we have to help establish that injury happening, even if it isn't in your STR. So a denial for something like that is not something that is insurmountable to overcome. Um, obviously, the best evidence is that there's something in your service treatment records that you got some help. But then if there's nothing in there, the VA is required to allow what we call lay evidence, which means things like a buddy statement, a letter you wrote to your mom, um, uh, you know, get, putting you under oath and telling the story as to what happened. Um, those are ways in which you can overcome that. There's nothing in my service treatment records to even start the formula, let alone connect it to what my current disability is. So um, we are up against a hard break here. Um, we're definitely taking your calls this evening at 800-222-5222 if you'd like to join us when we get back. This is Amanda Manier here on The Veterans Voice on 790 KABC. We will be right back. From sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, and New York to L.A., where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say. Good evening. Welcome back. This is Amanda Manier here on The Veterans Voice. We are taking calls live here this evening, talking about veterans who are navigating the process of getting their VA disability claims processed and getting awarded their claims. Sometimes dealing with the frustration of the VA, um, what, why they're denying you, why is it taking so long, um, um, some of those things which I can certainly help with as well as um, maybe explain some of the reasons why it's taking so long um, from the outside perspective and not the VA, um, which is usually, um, as I often say, I, I have to curb my cynicism a little bit about the VA, understand that sometimes they do get it right. I see it when they get it wrong because our office works in appeals only, which means you have to have a decision um, that you are unhappy with before you can work with our office. And um, that just means that, we're, you know, for the most part, we're working on some of the harder cases, um, cases in which have either been flat out service connected, denied or underrated. So if you're, uh, you know, struggling with maybe holding down a job or struggling with getting along with people or maintaining a relationship due to PTSD, anxiety, depression, those kind of things, and you get a rating of like 10 to 30%, that's going to be certainly an underrating. Um, so we work on those cases too to help get you a higher rating. Our job in our world is to make the VA, make it really easy for the VA to grant your case, put all the ducks in a row. It makes the VA happy to work with us because we make their life easier and their job easier and also works well with the veterans because when the VA sees that our power of attorney is on one of their cases, um, I've heard this specifically from the VA to us, is that we know that there's something to the case because we're very picky about the cases that we take good side of that is that we know that we can 100% believe in our cases that we're taking. So 
If you would like to talk about your case, regardless of whether you're, uh, um, you know, interested in representation from our office, you can call here us here live. We're here every Tuesday evening from seven to eight o'clock here on 790 KABC, and our number here is 800-222-5222, veterans or family members who have some questions about the claim. I would love to welcome Connie from West Covina. I understand you have a question for us. Connie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask you about my son-in-law, who is 68 years old. He was given a five-year 100% Um, 100% disability, temporary disability. Now, the five years has already passed. It's just beyond six years, and nothing has ever changed. And yet his wife, because it's temporary, is not able to get the CHAMP VA benefits. And uh, I'm just wondering, since it is considered temporary, and he certainly is I mean, he's not even well at all, you know, so I don't know why they, what would be the reason they wouldn't put him on permanent so that she could also benefit? Um, well, there's a number of things. One, I would have to know what the temporary disability is. Do you feel okay sharing that? It's okay. Well, if you I know don't. that I just... what happened to him, he fell out of a window in Germany and hit his head and broke a leg and you know I mean it was physical and mental and he's never been mm-hmm. right since but you know the thing is they've been doing all kinds of uh, shock treatment I know he's had mm-hmm. at least three shock treatments at, through the VA and I mean they treat him for everything he has a heart problem now and and uh, it just seems odd that the five years would have gone by and they wouldn't have made some div- decision to put him on permanent rather than temporary well, permanent. It, it it could be that the that his case file is just has not been looked at, which means that his wife or their representative or somebody needs to press the VA to look at the claim again. So here's what I'll tell you about temporary disabilities is, um, one, there's com- there's a common misconception that TDIU, which is unemployability with the VA, it stands for total disability based on individual unemployability, which means as long as you're not working because of your service-connected disabilities, they'll pay you at the 100% rate. But some people have a misconception that that's considered temporary. They think the T is for temporary. Not sure that's the case in your, in your uh, son-in-law. But... Um, it's it might be more likely that the other time that you get a temporary disability rating where you're paid at 100% is if you are currently getting medical treatment, surgery, that those types of things for a service-connected condition. So for, for our audience's sake, I'm going to say it this way. If you have a knee injury that is service-connected, and you have to go in for surgery, so say you're only 30% for that knee, you have to go in for surgery. For the time that you have surgery, if you are on basically bed rest, convalescent type of, you need support um, for more than 21 days, the VA will pay you for that 21 days up until the doctor says that you still need somebody to take care of you, you can't work, all of that kind of thing. They'll pay you at the 100% rate. So I'm wondering if what happened with him is because he's getting so much care, they're saying, okay, they initially said, okay, we're going to give you a temporary 100% rating and we'll relook at it when you're no longer getting this treatment again. So say for like a cancer treatment, mm-hmm. as long as you are getting 
chemo radiation you're going through that treatment you're giving and given a hundred percent and for cancer in particular they give you an additional six months after that treatment ends and then the VA is supposed to relook at your claim but in a lot of times and it sounds like possibly in this case it's just that the VA's that file has not been reopened it hasn't triggered somebody to look at this claim so it's sitting there under a temporary rating and um, it just needs somebody to light a fire under them to do something or to even inquire about it or to you know request it to be permanent um, temporary ratings just kind of sit there they're not considered like open or closed they're just kind of sitting there until there's evidence to support a change in that so it may be that his wife needs to file something with the VA to kind of get it rolling my recommendation if you were talking with her is to have her talk to a veteran service officer there Los Angeles County has some great veteran service officers at every county they have offices all over the counties um, is to go in there if she can get him to sign I'm not sure where he is at from a capacity standpoint but if he can sign a power of attorney to that county veteran service office to look into his case they can then get access, electronic access, to his VA claims file, see what's going on and what needs to be done. Well, they do pay for his, all his hospitalizations, which is many. Mm-hmm. He's often going back and forth. And, you know, I would say because my husband was on permanent disability through the Korean War, and I benefit from the CHAMP VA, and it, sure. it it's a wonderful program that... Mm-hmm that all you know I just feel like all veterans should never give up just because they tell you you're denied that doesn't mean you're denied I'm with you You I'm with you (laughs) you you reapply you reapply until suddenly somebody wakes up and they would increase it a little bit at a time or else they'll suddenly give you the whole hundred percent if you know if that's what you're eligible for sure and And, I'm a I'm one that's not reapply I'm one that's a file the appeal because then you're always maintaining that original effective date which mm -hmm. you know um, but also there are you know nuances to things like I was just talking about with a temporary disability that it's there's a lot of benefits that come to the family if he's deemed 100% permanent in total, not only from a federal level, right. but in the state of California. Um, things like property taxes, DMV benefits, commissary oh, benefits, I know. you know. <laughs> yes, <laughs> preaching the choir. <laughs> One car, your registration is paid. Yep, yep, absolutely. Fishing I mean, there's a lot of things free, that some people know. are not aware of that... Yeah. Yeah, they we're, can take advantage of when we found out about it, the DMV had never heard of it and had to look know. up to find the form. <laughs> we are currently working on a, a launch on our website, which is be hopefully before the end of the year, uh, that's a resource center for veterans all across the country where you can go and you can say, I have a you know 50% rating in the state of South Carolina. What are my federal and state and county benefits that I get? Mm-hmm. Um, Because there's nothing out there like it. I've wanted it for a long time. So I was like, okay, well, we'll build it then. Um, But are you you saying, say he were to pass away now with this temporary rating, would his wife not be entitled to the benefits that? She would if if they deemed that he died from one of his service-connected disabilities. So if he had a head injury, he probably has a TBI. And if he dies from a TBI, then yes, she would be entitled to benefits. But Mm -hmm. there's also a matter of I wouldn't want to 
hang my hat on that. I would want to make sure things are solid. And if you were listening to the beginning of the show, I was talking or earlier in the show, I was talking about how, you know, getting your VA benefits is a lot like, you know, financial planning and estate planning to make okay. sure that it's not just about the veteran getting paid, you know, for monthly it, how does that transfer over to benefits for your family, including CHAMP VA, including, and CHAMP VA, for those of you who are unfamiliar with that, that's the, uh, basically the um, the spouse who's not the veteran is able to get healthcare treatment through the VA um, under their CHAMP VA program. So, and everything is paid for. Yes, everything is paid for. So they it's, don't, you it's, just don't realize what a benefit, it's a blessing really. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so. well, thank you very much and just keep fighting for the vets. Thank you. I will. It's an it's an honor every day to do this and thank you so much for calling. I think this was important information for our listeners, so I appreciate you calling, Connie. All right. Bye. Bye. Oh, those are the stories that um, you know, I I love my job. I love that I get to come to work every day and work on behalf of people like Connie's husband, like her son-in-law, um, and those who, you know, sometimes don't know the benefits that are out there that can help them, and sometimes they do, but it's, you know, my you know, joke, for lack of a better word, is that I have a permanent bruise on my fro forehead from banging my head against the wall dealing with the VA every day, and that's only partially true. That's only partially a joke, you know. Um, thankfully, I work with veterans every day that are staff in my office and that are team members in my office, and they provide a unique perspective of what it was like working in, in the military, what it's like dealing with the VA, and then the you know the honor that they have now of helping veterans and their families walk through the process that they have been through themselves. So, um, again, we'll be right back. We're going to take a break here. Our number here is 800-222-5222. This is Amanda Menier. You're listening to The Veteran's Voice. We will be right back. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas, from sea to shining sea. Good evening. Welcome back. This is Amanda Manier with the Veterans Voice here on 790KABC. Uh, we are taking your calls live here this evening. Our number here is 800-222-5222. Talking with veterans and their family members about working with the VA, kind of how to um, you know navigate the process of dealing with the VA, getting the disability compensation, um, healthcare benefits, those types of things that are needed by your family. So um, I am an advocate for veterans and I've worked in the this particular VA law exclusively for about 10 years. Um, prior to that, I was a business attorney and um, did a little bit of estate planning and that kind of thing. Um, I kind of ended up in this area of law by um, complete, I guess, uh, just calling for <laughs> lack of a better word. I had a uh, a good friend of mine who um, went to Iraq and came back in a very different place than he was when he left, um, was struggling with PTSD a lot and some other injuries, but um, he had a hard time holding down a job, keeping a roof over his head, uh, going to school. He tried all the things that many veterans try to make sure that they cannot 
may be, you know, become homeless. And um, if it wasn't for, in my case, me and many people across the country that care about these veterans, um, he did have a roof over his head. But um, while we, he was trying to navigate the process, I knew nothing about it. I didn't know that veterans, that attorneys could be involved. I was out writing contracts and doing estate plans for um, people in the community, helping them start businesses. And after watching his struggle through that, and, and trying to be an advocate for him um, with the VA um, and helping to understand the, the red tape. And that was actually before a lot more red tape has been put in place. This was back 2010, 2012, um, that I was able to eventually um, you know, meet the right people to get him in the right hands. And that ultimately led me to um, coming to work here with, with Mark Lippman, who's the founder of Veterans Law Group. and. Um, is amazingly good at what he does um, as far as arguing for veterans anywhere from before the VA all the way up to the Supreme Court. He's done that as well. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to just touch on before we leave is, it, before we leave tonight, and again, I will take your call this evening, 800-222-5222. Um, feel free to jump in. I'd rather ask your question than go on a diatribe, but I am going to get a little bit on a soapbox if you'll let me right now. Um, one of the things that is really important to us here is not only getting the veteran benefits what they need under the law that it currently stands, but also to advocate for change in the law. Um, Mark particularly loves to do that through, um, you know, filing appeals up at the federal circuit and getting the federal circuit authority. So um, without getting into too much complications, you know, the VA has to follow statutes and regulations that are passed by Congress or the statutes passed by Congress, then they create regulations and then they create like policy manuals of like how do they do the day to day. And oftentimes or sometimes what we'll find out is the way that they're implementing a statute has so narrowed the statute to that it's outside of what was initially intended. And so in order to challenge those laws and regulation, you have to go through the court process. You file claims at the Court of Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims or the Federal Circuit arguing that the VA, while they're following their policy, their policy is in contrast to or in, um, isn't in line with what the legislative uh, legislation intended. Um, then there are times where something shows up in a statute and they're like, why in the world did they do that? Um, and one of those things in order to change a statute, we have to go through a legislative initiative and have people actually on the federal level, Congress and the House of Representatives make changes to those. So a good example of that is some of the restrictions around um, Agent Orange. So where are presumptives of Agent Orange? Right now, they are, they used to be just, you had to have boots on the ground in Vietnam and then there were some other things related to Thailand and a couple of other places where you had to show restrictions. Well, this upcoming law that is about to change, um, it's passed the Senate, it just passed the House. Um, they've got to go back to the Senate just for some you know, little rule changes. Then it'll go to Biden's desk and it's overwhelmingly supported. So it's the PACT Act I've talked about in the past where um, it's not only changing a lot of rules related to burn pits, but also it's opening up that those who served in Thailand, Cambodia, Guam, and American Samoa are going to have much of the same rights as um, Vietnam veterans when it comes to Agent Orange exposure, which is huge for so many of our cases that we're working on where we're having to, you know, prove, oh, you were on the perimeter, 
in this Air Force Base in Thailand on these particular dates and you know the you have to prove that factually versus what happened with Vietnam is you don't have to prove where you were just that you were in that area during a particular period of time and you have one of the presumptive illnesses so a lot of that stuff is changing well I've got one that is definitely um, important to me that has to do with um, who can carry on a claim and receive a claim after a veteran dies while they're waiting for their claim to be completed through the appeals process. And I've talked about that a little bit on the show, but um, we're going to start launching right now. It is a spouse, a dependent child or a dependent parent, but it provides nothing for heirs of that veteran if he didn't have dependents. So, and you know, one of the cases that I, I is so near and dear to my heart is a veteran who was not married. He was um, in his, I believe, 60s. He had he got a service connected finally after fighting for 10 years, and then he died waiting on a re-exam for a higher percentage. And he had adult children that he I know he wanted to pass on that money, and it would have been over a hundred thousand dollars for him to be able to pass that on to his as part of his estate and his inheritance to his children. And the VA should have been paying him that all along. It would have been a lump sum of back pay, which means the VA is saying we should have been paying this all along, and they didn't. So that's going to be up and coming. You'll hear me talking about it a lot. But before we go, we've got Patty in LA. Patty, you've got a question? Yes, my mother is on aid and attendance. Mm -hmm. But she also is eligible for Medi-Cal. My question is, um, I'm her caregiver, so I get the aid in attendance for me. However, Medi-Cal is counting the pension part of the aid in attendance as income. So that puts her income way over the top. Mm -hmm. So she's not eligible for uh, in-home support services. Through Medi-Cal? Right. Okay. Um, I, I'm going to tell you this is not an area of expertise for me because that's more of a Medi-Cal rule versus a VA rule. Um, mm -hmm. I can definitely refer you to somebody who'd be very familiar in that area. Um, we okay. are coming up against a hard break. If you're able to, shoot me an email at veteransvoice at veteranslaw.com, and I will give you that referral. It's somebody who's out in, I think, believe he's out in Riverside still, but he is a elder law estate planning attorney, very familiar with the nuances of how the VA rules interact with things like Medicare and Medi-Cal. Um, he'd probably yeah, be able to answer I, your question I always off thought the that the, the aid in attendance was not considered income. They don't count the aid in attendance, but they count the pension portion of it. Yeah, and it's possible for that, but again, that's a Medi-Cal rule. It's, it has nothing to do with VA rules. It's the, it's the way that California looks at a benefit coming from the federal government. So, okay, and that was Veterans Veterans Voice, which is the name of our show here, at veteranslaw.com, which is our website. Or if it's easier for you, my name is Amanda, and my email is Amanda at veteranslaw.com. Okay. okay, thank you. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Um, that's another thing that is as, and we're we're coming against to the end of the show, but I'll try to fit this in. There's, you know, all the VA laws that we're talking about are federal laws. And so there might be state laws in each individual state across the country that it's, it's um, you know, they have their, the, the best one I can come up with is child custody laws. So is your federal disability benefit subject to considered, be considered income for, for child custody, um, not child custody, child support rules? 
Um, in most cases, it's no. Um, in the state of Texas, they basically say if money's in your account and I see money is in your account, you haven't told me that's disability, it's open for garnishment. So there are state laws that affect what I could broadly say under umbrella uh, that should or should not be considered income, but there are other state laws that may come into play on that. So again, that's a state-related issue. Same thing with a lot of family law stuff that I don't get into because I try to stay working in my sole area of expertise at this point, which is federal VA disability law, but I'm always happy to send you a refer referral or point you in the right direction if I can. We are here every Tuesday night from 7 to 8 o'clock. This is Amanda Manier on the Veterans Voice here on 790 KABC. I will see you next week. Thank you.